news that is for us this morning. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. And our main focus is on verse 20, though we will be picking up verses 17 through 21. And Galatians 2.20 has been a verse of the Bible that millions of Christians have memorized. Galatians 2.20. Have you memorized this verse? So helpful. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So far the reading of God's Word. I love that last phrase of that verse. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do you live a life of faith? Does the preacher just wag his finger and say, live a life of faith? Doesn't work. It's the first part of that verse that makes the difference. I have been crucified with Christ, and yet I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And you'll never live a life of faith unless you know what comes first. I want you to live a life of faith. When you wake up tomorrow morning, I hope you will wake up tomorrow morning like J.C. Penney, the great retailer, used to do. You know, he had a very dramatic conversion to Christ as an adult. And he was discipled into a life of faith. And I'm told that when he woke up in the morning, he wanted to live this life of faith. And he would offer this prayer. And I've used this prayer in my own life. Not every morning, but many mornings. And he would either stand next to his bed or kneel next to his bed. And he would say, Lord Jesus, this morning I surrender my life to you. And I give you my feet. And I give you my hands, and I give you my eyes, and I give you my wallet, and I give you my brain, and I give you my tongue. And I ask you and I invite you to use me for your glory. And what he was doing was he was preparing himself during the day to live a life of faith. A life of faith that lived in the Son of God that believed in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. But you will never be able to do that. The second half of verse 20, living the life of faith and courage and hope and love and strength, unless you understand the first part of verse 20. There's three points to this today. The first point, you have been crucified with Christ Second point, the resurrected Christ lives in you. And then the third point, you live your life now by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. 
This is a text. We're just going to take this text apart and let it speak to us. And I hope that, that today, especially if you're a new Christian, that you will memorize this verse, and this will set you on a course of living by faith. And maybe you've been a Christian for decades, but you would admit you might have gotten a little stale, a little cold, a little dry. And God wants to bless you today. He wants to bless you today with this verse and for you to make this one of your life passages of Scripture. Point number one, Paul makes a stunning declaration. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And I wonder if you can say that, that you have been crucified with Christ. This is a statement about what happens when you are connected to Jesus by faith. Last week, we camped out on that marvelous 16th verse of this second chapter where Paul is making the case that union with Christ brings justification, not by works of the law, but faith in Christ unites you to Jesus and and you have the legal benefits of belonging to Him. Your sins are forgiven, right? And, And you stand clean before God. But you see what we're... Paul's going deeper here and he's saying that according... Um, to what he knows has happened to him when he believed in Jesus. He became somebody who was in Christ. And dozens of times, with a yellow highlighter, you go through the New Testament and you read this little phrase, in Christ, into Christ, in Christ. And this is what faith does. It takes you and cements you to Jesus. And according to this verse, there's two sides of it, the beginning of this verse. There's the death side and the new life side. You know what healthy discipleship of a a church is? You know what will make us healthy as a church? We have fantastic ministries in this church, home fellowship groups and Bible memory programs and children's ministry. We have all kinds of good ministry in this church. I love what God is doing here. But the purpose of those ministries is not to make you busy. The purpose of what we do when we gather is to help us believe. To believe. And a church is healthy when she believes that she is crucified with Christ and when she believes that Christ lives in her. And you are healthy spiritually when you believe that you have been crucified with Christ. His death on the cross is your death for you and mystically, right? That's what the Larger catechism said, mystically, you have been united with Christ in His death on the cross and with Him in His resurrection. There's a death side and a new life side. Christina Enchandia is not here today, but she would tell you one of her favorite Bible verses is Colossians 3, verse 3. I remember her telling me, and I'm bragging on Christine just because she has memorized huge passages of Scripture like entire books of the Bible. She has. 
But Colossians 3, verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And she says, you know, John, as I go through life, I know that when Jesus calls me to him, he calls me to come and die. And that's not the glamorous side of Christianity. Bonhoeffer, he said, when Jesus calls you to himself, he calls you to come and die. Jack Miller, who mentored me, he used to say again and again, if you're going to be a child of God, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to come and die. But then Jack would say, it's not just come and die, it's come and die and live, okay? But before you get the come and live, what do you have to do first? Come and die and live. That's what we learn here, you see, at the beginning of verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The book of Galatians, we'll see, we're going to come back to it again and again. It has this motif of death in chapter 5 and in chapter 6. But right here in our passage, there's two ways. We'll just whet our appetite on what it means to die. Two ways. The first thing he says is actually in verse 19, in the verse that precedes. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And here is that first death, and it's really interesting. The first death Paul says he experiences in this passage is I died to the law. What is that all about? What Paul is telling us is that he discovered through the law how far short he fell of keeping the law. He experienced the law, and it killed him. In Romans 7, verse 9, Paul says this, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Now, I don't understand that verse completely, but the way I experienced it in my own life was before I was a Christian, before I had any concern about God's opinion at all, I was whistling happily through life, skipping merrily on my way, and then I was exposed to the law of God, the holiness of God, the glorious holiness of the law of God, His character. So interesting. You know, in 2 Corinthians 3, and I have it printed for you in verses 6 through 9, we're taught that the law is good, okay? The law is not bad. The law is good. The law is holy. The law of God is glorious. And in those verses, Paul writes how Moses came down from the mountain, remember? Carrying the tablets of the law of God, and it was so glorious, the people covered their eyes, and there was glory. The law is good. It's holy. It's glorious. But in that same passage, you know what else he says? He uses words like this. This ministry of the law that was glorious brought death. Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 3, 9, it's the ministry that brings condemnation. Back in verse 6, he says, the letter kills. When the commandment came, sin sprang up and I died. 
And so what Paul is saying here is that he himself understood how far short he fell in keeping the law, and through his own experience of the demands of God's holiness and God's law, he was convicted. Even he, the Pharisee of Pharisees, was convicted that he could not do it, and he died to the law as a way of justification. That's all last week. Paul learned how unholy he is, and I learned in my life, in my life, how unholy I am. And I wonder if you in your own experience have come to discover. What the Bible says is true of everyone. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that uncomfortable reality dawns that the wages of sin is... Does anyone know how that verse ends? Yeah, the wages of sin is death. And you can't escape that reality. You can't get away from it. It is a necessity. However, Paul says, there is another way to live to God. And what is that way? It's through Jesus Christ. Through the grace of God. And Jesus Christ solves this problem of the law convicting us, he solves it by what? Living in perfect obedience, living the life we should have lived in perfect obedience, and then taking upon himself the death that we should have died. The Bible says in a mystical way, we are united with Christ on the cross in his death, and there as he, there he pays for our sins, makes atonement for our sins. I died with Christ, he says. And so, my friends, Paul says, I died to that performance-oriented, self-righteous way of standing before God, living before God. What about you? Have you died to the law in that sense? The law is good and holy. It's a guide for how we should live. But make no mistake, you will never climb the ladder to heaven by your own compulsive rule-keeping, performance-oriented, self-righteous superiority to everyone else that you tend to. How do you know? How do you know if you've gotten this? I'll tell you how. It's because if you're a rule-keeper and you find other people don't keep your rules the way you think they should keep your rules, you have contempt for them. When that happens, there is a self-righteousness still ruminating around in your soul, at least in mine, <laughs> that I need to repent. I'm still living under my law, under God's law, what I think should be. Oh, God, have mercy on me. No, I died to the law, the first death. And it's so funny. I died to the death I deserved because I'm in union with Jesus Christ. Union with Christ. Second death comes at the beginning of verse 20 where it means death to self. And he says, I no longer live. What is that all about? And maybe your mind goes back to the teachings of Jesus in Luke 24, or Luke 9, 23 and 24 where Jesus says, do you know these verses? 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. See, there's a death side to Christianity. There's a death side. Come and die. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. How do you lose your life as a disciple of Jesus? For some of you, I don't know what it means. It might mean God wants you to give up your middle-class life and move to Africa and become a missionary and plant a church in the jungle. And that would be a pretty big sacrifice, wouldn't it? That would be losing your life. That might be it. But for some of you, it means that you make the bed in the morning so your wife won't have to. And you, you lay down your ambitious agenda for the day in order to serve someone else because you love Jesus. You lay down your life. Jesus says, whoever would follow me must lay down his life, deny himself. The cool thing that Jesus teaches, of course, at the end of verse 24 is, but whoever loses their life for me will what? Save it. So, yeah, there's a death side, come and die, but come and die and live. And in my life, what it means is that my own ego, my pride, my, my self-glory, all these things that run so deep in John Yenchko, the list is a lot longer than that, you know? That impulse that says, I have to look out for number one because it's all about me, isn't it? It's all about me. It's all about my agenda, my reputation, my pleasure, my comfort, my acquisition. It's all about me. And Jesus says, no, you have to lose your life. Paul says, I no longer live. And it just means I'm willing to take my agenda and subordinate it to Jesus. There's a death side of Christianity. I look around this room, and one of the thrills of being the pastor of this church is to see the ways that so many of you, not you haven't boasted in it, but I've just seen you lay down your life for Jesus. Love people, serve people, humble yourself. Laying down your life, willing to die to yourself. It's so powerful, you see. Isn't that what we want? It's actually what is good, what is right. So there's a death side to Christianity. You've died to the law, you've died to yourself. He'll tell us how you've crucified your sinful passions, how you're even dead to the world when we get to chapter 6. And when J.C. Penney offers that prayer in the morning, I give you my feet, my hands, my heart, my mind, my tongue. What is he doing? He's saying, I die to my flesh. I die to myself. And I live for God. Because I'm united to Christ in His death. I'm free from the condemnation of the law. 
But you know what? You're not just dead in Christ. The verse goes on, verse 20, and this is point two. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this is so beautiful. This is the, the, the other side of the coin, isn't it? How do you know that the resurrected Christ lives in you? You know because you're united to Him by faith. You believe in Him and faith, faith cements you to Jesus. And I love this picture that you can then say, my heart is Christ's home. Can you say that? You can say that. Don't you love this picture? I, I mean, you read the book of Revelation and you know that Jesus Christ resides in heaven. He resides in glory on the throne of God. Revelation 5 says, there He is, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb, Lion who was slain. He came and He sits on the throne. He takes the scroll. scroll. He rules as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Heaven is glorious because Jesus is in heaven. Heaven is grand because Christ is in heaven. You know where else He lives? In you, <laughs> little old you, by His Spirit, by the Spirit of Christ. That's why Martin read that passage earlier for us. The Spirit of Christ lives in you, you who have believed in Jesus. <laughs> He's taken up residence in you. And His resurrection life is a reality in your life. Jesus talked about this a lot in John uh, uh, 1423, he says, if anyone loves me and he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Woo. My heart, Christ's home. In his high priestly prayer, we studied that, right, for a couple of months together in John 17, he says, I in them and you in me so that the world may know that you loved me and you loved them even as you loved me. And then at the climax of John 17, verse 26, he says, I made known to them your name, that the love you with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is amazing. Jesus talked about this a lot. He knew that after his resurrection and ascension, he would come and dwell inside you and me by his Spirit. So Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but... Christ lives in me, and, and He takes up residence in the reflection in your bulletin. If you look inside your bulletin, that inside flap, it's every week I put something in there called a reflection, and it's all about union with Christ and the benefits. Every benefit of salvation is yours because you are united to Christ. Look at this beautiful poem written by Dominic White. He says, we are chosen in the chosen one. We are blessed in the blessed one. We are loved in the loved one. We are adopted in God's only son. We are made holy in the holy one. We are made righteous in the righteous one. We are strong in the mighty one and anointed in the anointed one. We have died in the pierced one. We are raised in the living one. We are set free in the free one and will reign in the reigning one. For all of the promises of God find their yes in Him. 
So, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, there's a lot of nutty theology built on that verse, a lot of goofy ideas where they say, well, then that means you're annihilated, Christian annihilation, it's called. And there's bad theology out there that somehow teaches that you no longer even exist and that somehow the Spirit of God so overwhelms you that you, you don't even exist. And um, I won't name names, but I'm just saying that's, that is not what is taught here. Because, and the reason I know that is because he's about to go on and say, for the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, so you, you obviously still exist. What it means is that Jesus Christ has moved into the home of your life and he's rearranging the furniture. And he comes into your house. And he sees the trash, and he says, we're going to clean this up. And he says, you know, this old worn-out sofa, the springs are poking you and tearing you out of your pants, and he says, we're going to get rid of that, and we're going to replace it with something better. And he begins this renovation, and he comes into my life, and he says, here's this John Yenshko, and there's this stinking pile of pride and we're putting it out for the trash. It's on the curb. And let's replace it with my humility because Jesus is the humble king. I would like my humility to somehow more and more, it's not perfect by a long shot, more and more to be in John Yenchko and in you. And my greed, my covetousness, my looking at your stuff and saying, I wish your stuff was my stuff. And Jesus says, you know what? That's going out to the curb. And you know what I would like to do? I would like to put a generous spirit into him and to teach him how to sit loose on his possessions and how to share. I think I'll give him a wife named Nina who loves to give stuff away to help him a little bit. And he rearranges the furniture inside and he begins to work a Christ-like character in you because Christ lives in you. And it's not just that my sin starts to bother me now. You see, before I was a Christian, did my sin bother me? Well, it didn't really bother me unless it brought bad consequences on me and I realized how stupid I was. But, but if that didn't happen, you know, I was quite content with my sin. But now that I become a Christian, my sin bothers me because the Holy Spirit is in me bringing conviction of it and, and saying to me, hup, 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 my law says this, my ways are better than this, uh, John. But it's not just that I get a distaste for my sin, I also start to actually love what is good and righteous. And I start thinking, you know what, generosity is better than stinginess. And humility really is better than arrogance, right? And honesty really is better than lying. And I start to love His ways because that's His character. It's because I love Him. Christ is living in me when that happens, you see. And one more time, I'm going to say that one of the joys of being the pastor of this church is having watched so many of your lives. And if truth be told, some of you would say 
that our marriage was a marriage where we lived to inflict pain on each other. And Jesus came in, and Jesus changed us. And we have learned how to bless and care for each other rather than curse each other. There are people sitting around you that used to be engaged in dishonest business practices. And if they could take their client, they would take their client no matter what. And then they came to know Jesus. And guess what happened? Jesus made them honest. Jesus made them hardworking, with integrity, fierce in their work. But He made them honest. There were students who loved to cheat on their tests. And they would cheat because it's the only way to keep up with everybody else. And then they learned that Jesus was alive inside them and Jesus was teaching them a better way. And that was to do their best and receive whatever grade God gave them and they could hold their head high because Christ lives in me. You see, my friends, I know that this is true, and this is, this is Christ at work. I have died with Christ, but Christ lives in me. And so point number three, I now live my life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Philip Riken coins this last phrase like this. He says, it is a life of faith responding to love. I like that. It's a life of faith responding to love. And what this life of faith looks like is that no matter what your circumstances are, whether happy and healthy and good or whether difficult and sickness and, and, and hard, no matter what your circumstances are, you are going to live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. And it's going to happen not because you're a superior person, not because you're a smarter person. It's going to happen because you died with Christ and now Christ lives in you. We say this. I, I'm not ashamed of repeating myself in sermon after sermon, so don't roll your eyes too much, but listen to me. We don't allow our circumstances to define for us who God is. What we do is we take what we know to be true about God to carry us through our circumstances. Because we're going to live by faith in the Son of God. Do you understand? You see, immaturity in the Christian life is experiencing difficult circumstances and then deciding that God is mean, God is unkind, God is unfair, God is weak. And what you've just done is you've lived in unbelief. Instead, you say with Job, Job said, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Okay? North Shore Community Church we are not the biggest church, the strongest church, the greatest church, the, 
best church in the world, but this may this be true of us. We will be those people that folks will look at and say, wow, those people really believe in God. They really believe in the Son of God. Why would you believe in the Son of God? Paul tells us the next little phrase, who loved me. See, the reason you can live like this is because you know He loves you. He does love you. And He will never stop loving you. The Old Testament says, I have made a covenant of love with you which cannot be broken. That covenant comes to the new, is the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. So, He loves you. How do you know He loves you? Size of your bank account? Is that how you know He loves you? Kind of car you bought. Is that how you know He loves you? Once again, back to the text, back to the text. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and what's next? How do you know He loves you? Gave Himself for me on the cross. That's how you know. That's how you know He loves you. Not by the size of your bank account, not by the size of the car you drive, not whether you're married or divorced or single, not how, that's not how you know. Whether your husband made the bed or not, that's not how you know. Whether your kids are perfect or not, how do you know He loves you? He gave Himself for you. He bled and died. He hung on the cross and took the wrath of God upon Himself so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and I know He loved me because I see the cross there. And there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. There's power in my union with Christ. The blood washes me clean and makes me live in a new way for Him. Faith. Faith in Christ. We said last week, if you weren't here, we said that faith is not just believing a fact about Jesus, like I believe that this chair can hold me up. I've studied physics. I know weight and force versus mass, and, and I, I know that this will hold me. I believe it, right? Do I believe it? Do I really believe it? I might believe that, but when do you know that I believe? The chair will hold me. You know, my quadriceps are starting to, to burn as I squat over it. When do you finally believe? <sighs> when I sit, when I rest, when I trust. Faith is trust. Faith is trust in Christ. It says in the Bible, friends may fail me. Foes assail me. Do my friends love me? Sometimes, not always. Do my foes love me? Never. But He, my Savior, loves me with a covenant of love that cannot be broken, and He makes me whole. So Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, verse 21. I don't nullify it. I believe it. Look at your heart today. This is now, in these next minutes as we sing this closing song, this is the opportunity for you to lift the lid, 
and examine your own heart. You see, that's what we must do. And not just before communion, all the time. Have I come back to living under the law in a way that I am trying to prove myself before God? Then I need to repent. Join me in repentance. Have I forgotten that I've died with Christ? Have I forgotten that my heart is Christ's home? Come, Lord Jesus, and show me again. I have been crucified with Christ, yet I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That is your creed. That is your calling. That is your hope. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, this day... I give you my hands, each of us says, and we give you our feet, and we give you our minds, and we give you our wallets, and we give you our tongues, we give you our eyes, and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would reign in us and govern us in the use of these parts of our lives, because you live in us. We thank you for the cross, the great evidence of your love. But we pray that you will make this love known to us in our hearts and minds today and every day that we would know. So we come to you. Renew this love in our hearts this day and catapult us out of this place to live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.